Welcome back to the System Design Podcast with Wes and Kevin. Uh, today we're going to go back and do a little bit of what we started off the podcast series with, which is a mock interview. Uh, we got a request from a listener um, interested in, you know, listening to another mock interview. So we decided uh, now would be a good time. Um, Wes, have you heard about the service Dropbox? Yes. It's a kind of tool that lets you back up your files um, and folders from your computer to this company's cloud storage. And you can then retrieve it um, from anywhere you want, like from another computer or your phone or whatever. Yeah, that's exactly right. So today we're going to be uh, mock interviewing and designing a cloud storage system similar to Dropbox. I'll be the interviewer today and Wes will be the interviewee. So starting out, um, it's, it's like you described, uh, Wes, you know, Dropbox and other cloud service providers are fairly popular recently because they simplify the storage and exchange of digital resources among multiple devices. So let's just talk through, you know, the typical Dropbox use case, as well as, you know, what kind of aspects of the system that we need to design for. Sure. So starting out, right, I think if when we think about, you know, a cloud file storage service, uh, we typically think that, you know, we're going to be providing this data at in a highly available state. So the motto of most cloud services is to just have data available anywhere and everywhere on all of your devices. So right off the bat, we know that availability is going to be a key part of our design. I think it's also important to, you know, think about the number of users that are typically using uh, cloud service providers like Dropbox. Um, they're usually in the realms of, you know, hundreds of millions of users. So scalability is also a concern that we need to keep in mind. And the last um, thing to keep in mind is reliability and durability, because I know for a fact that if I were to use some sort of cloud provider to store my data, I would be awfully upset if the data that I stored ended up disappearing out of the cloud. So let's leave it fairly open-ended and like that. If there's any clarifying questions uh, you want to ask, Wes, feel free to ask. Well, yeah, let me just like, you know, kind of brain dump a few questions here. Like, um, what kind of files do we want to support? Do we need to um, support like a cap on each user's file upload? Do we need to have like, you know, let's say I write a Microsoft Word file on my computer. Does it have to upload immediately or can I wait, you know, five minutes and just have it upload in the background? Do I need a version files restored to a previous version of a file? Those are some like, yeah, general ideas. Any of those like with you? Yeah, those are those are good questions. So in general, Dropbox supports uploading any sort of file type for our system design. We can keep these simple and start with just text and photos to begin with. Uh, but extending to other file types should be a natural extension of any system that you come up with. Typically, our system should support storing larger files, so up to a gigabyte. And as you have mentioned, an extended requirement of the system should be that we can support snapshotting of the data so that users can go back to any version of any of their files. Our system should also support offline editing, right? So if you, if you ever use Dropbox, the idea is that you can specify any folder on your desktop as needing to be synced with Dropbox. And while you are offline, you should be able to continue editing uh, those Word files. Sure, that sounds good. It's also worth mentioning that our service should support multiple devices, right? Like when you when you have a Dropbox account, you can have your Dropbox be available on your computer as well as your mobile device. 
and our service should support automatic synchronization between these devices whenever we have a network connection. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and that kind of multiple device plus offline editing leads to the idea of like we're probably going to have merge conflicts, right? So that's the thing we might want to consider as well. I wouldn't worry about merge conflicts to begin with. Let's start a system targeting towards, um, you know, one individual user. But it is worth mentioning that we'll want to eventually support multiple business users as well, right? But let's let's just start with the simple case of a single user with multiple devices. Okay, that sounds good. Um, anything else before we start, like, getting in that simple single user's case? Nope. Um, I think that is most of the design. Um, okay. I, a question I have for you, though, just to, you know, get your... Uh, mind thinking is with a service like Dropbox, what do you expect to be, you know, the ratio of read writes? What do you expect to be the sense of scale of the number of reads and the number of writes that we should be supporting? Uh, yeah, I think I would probably guess there's more writes than reads, um, maybe by like a 10 to one basis. That's kind of just a guess. Um, I think most people just use it on one computer and don't use the service unless there's like an issue, right? Yeah, that is that is fair. So you're saying there's there's more reads than writes? Sorry, more writes than reads. More writes than reads. Got it. Um yeah, that makes sense for a single user. What about for the the scaled out use case with multiple business users? Yeah, if you were like collaborating on a shared file, then that definitely changes that. Um yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think typically we'd expect the read and write ratio to be the same because of the number of users that might be potentially reading a document. Um, okay. So typically, you know, maybe only one person is writing to a document, but your entire business, right, uh, might be reading from that document as well. Cool. Actually, you know what, to kind of like break out of the interview mode for a second, um, what what is the core change that you might make based on like seeing a different read write like you know i think the two ideas here or maybe three is like you know one is your write heavy one is your read heavy and then one is your kind of equal on both what is like the core change that you would make based on that knowledge the general guideline that i like to sort of consider is that if your system is read heavy you typically want to leverage um duplicating your nodes so this would be having multiple replica sets of your data Whereas, you know, if your system is going to be more write heavy, you might want to take advantage of uh, splitting up your data across different shards, for example. Yeah, that, that makes sense because in general, if you're replicating data that's being written too often, uh, you have a concern about, let's say you have you know, three copies of data that's being written too very often. Um, it, when I go to write to it, if I want to maintain like consistent views of data, I have to write to all three at the same time. And that's just three writes, which is more expensive than one write. Um, or you just write to one and then you rely on eventual consistency. Um, right. Exactly. So that makes sense that you'd rather just split the data into smaller chunks. Um, and, you know, you, it, I guess in reality, it's probably going to be a combination of both of these because even if you are sharding, you still want some replication to make sure that like if a shard dies, you don't want that piece of data to die. Okay, anyways, um, back to the interview. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, we, we kind of said it's equally kind of read and write heavy. Um, so yeah, but I guess, you know, back to the simple case of a single user on a single machine. 
Um, I think, you know, the core idea here is that we have some kind of, it's like a cron job in Linux, right? And we probably need a different client for like Mac and Windows and Linux. Um, but I think the idea is that we have a kind of like background job running on your personal computer, uh, maybe every like two minutes or so. And it will, when you, when you set it up, you know, when you sign into your instance of Dropbox, you tell it, all right, here's my main folder, like root folder that I want you to back up. What you want to do is check to see if there's any data that needs to be written to the cloud or that needs to be pulled from the cloud, right? And um, the way you do this for every file, like every folder maybe or every file, we can produce a hash of that file's contents and that will tell us um, if there's any changes that need to be made. Uh, does that make sense? Got it. So what I'm hearing out of that is that, you know, as part of our system, we do need a client application that can get installed on either your desktop or your mobile device. And the responsibility of this client is to keep track of metadata that determines whether your files have changed. Yeah, it keeps track of the metadata and figures out if they have changed or not. But it also like executes sending data to the cloud or pulling data from the cloud. Yep, that makes sense. Can you do you mind elaborate? So I I fully agree that you know we do need a client application that's part of our overall system. Um, do you mind just sort of peeling back the layer on what you mean about cloud? What kind of services would you know belong in the cloud in order to communicate with the client application? Yeah, I guess um, maybe to like keep that simple for a minute while we like figure out the client application first. Maybe let's just say the cloud is like you know got a server that has an endpoint uh, called like upload data, right? Um, and it has like you know a user ID like or a session token or whatever, and then the data you can stream the data to it mm-hmm. um and we can flush that out more later yep that makes sense cool was it clear how the client was actually doing the um hashing and like determining if a change happened on the file to a file um yeah but do you mind elaborating a little bit um i think there's many ways that we can you know different determine whether there's a change um and i don't think we need to focus too much on it but if you want to briefly explain your thought process yeah actually you know what i mentioned hashing a minute ago to like check if the contents have changed but now that i think about it i would imagine like all these os's should have a like date last modified on every file so that's probably way cheaper than caching a file so maybe we just rely on that as kind of the first like naive way to do this is you know every two minutes that this process runs it just looks at all these files and says are there any files that have been changed since i last recorded their like values and like uploaded their values to the cloud. Um, and if the answer is yes, then it will, you know, basically take a snapshot of those um, current values for that file and upload those to the cloud. And if the answer is no, it just does nothing, right? I see. So that begs the question of, you know, if we're dealing with a one gigabyte file, if we detect that there is a change, are we uploading the entire gigabyte? Is there any way we can think about how to transfer files more efficiently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that it's been a while since I've taken an operating systems class, but I think that like OSs at some level do like have this concept of like pages where a given file is not like one gigabyte of disk space contiguously allocated. It's, you know, a bunch of chunks, chunks of like maybe each chunk is like a thousand kilobytes or I don't know, something like that, right? And so um, maybe on one level we could try to leverage the OS to like actually 
look at each um, like page of data and try to figure out which of those pages have changed. Um, and I think actually the way we'd figure out which page has changed would be via the hashing technique that I mentioned earlier. So you know, every time we run our process every two minutes, um, for each page, we compute the hash value of the data in the page. Um, and then, you know, when we run again 10 minutes later, we hash, if it's, if it's changed, we hash the page and then we check the hash value of our page compared with the previous hash value of the page. If the hash value is the same, uh, then we know that the data has not changed. Uh, if the hash value is different, then we can assume like, yeah, this, this page's data has changed and should be re-uploaded. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I think you're definitely on the right track there with the suggestion to sort of, you know, chunk our data up more efficiently. We can decide the size of these chunks based on, you know, some sort of optimal um, optimal value that we can determine based on like um, network bandwidth and other factors, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, cool. And then, you know, just to be clear, to take this a little further, you know, yeah, once you've decided that a part of a file has changed, you initiate the upload to your server. You probably need to pass in some associated metadata, right? Like, you know, so tell it, okay, here's the file name. Here is the like offset of like, you know, this is the 10th block in the file. Um, and, you know, the timestamp that you pulled the file at, stuff like that. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. Just to play it back, right? For the client application, essentially it's responsible for uploading and downloading files as well as detecting changes. Um, in each file based on, you know, some representation of metadata, right? Um, is there anything that you can elaborate on in terms of what the metadata looks like? It sounds like, you know, you're getting to a key part of this client application and our cloud storage service, which is we need to be keeping track of some sort of metadata in order to make sure that our file system is in sync with what is on the cloud, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, you know, things, so what do, we, what do we need to store? We need to store like kind of a manifest of all the files that we have. We need to say for every file, what was the last time that it was edited? And then we need to, we need to store actually like every time that it was edited, right? So maybe if like you think of a table with a primary key, it's like the primary key is file name plus the timestamp. And then maybe you even have, yeah, so like a file name plus a timestamp will kind of like give you the link to the file data, right? And I don't know if you want to do like table design where we try to like denormalize that and make sure that we can access the actual underlying data. You know, if this is just metadata, all we maybe need is like a, again, file name, timestamp, maybe like a list of block IDs where those block IDs are like, you know, the, the way to represent. Um, it's maybe that's the hash values of the blocks or something, right? Or some way for us to go from that block ID to the actual underlying data behind that block. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, we don't need to dive into like table design per se. I think if we just list out, like, like you said, like exactly what kind of data we're keeping track of, that should be sufficient. Is there anything else that you want to add to your metadata, you know, database? Uh, you know, maybe which machine it came from, um, if this is the database on the server side, it's like which machine it came from um, would be nice. Um, version IDs maybe, but I guess we kind of have that from the timestamp, so that's okay. We could go ahead and like kind of remove extraneous timestamps where nothing has changed, right? It's probably going to make a better UX when you go to like select previous version. 
um, you only you only care about the timestamps where things change meaningfully. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think just taking a a step up a little bit, you're describing a system that supports you know one user and one workspace. But if we want to support multiple users and multiple workspaces, then the metadata tables would also have to keep track of that, right? Oh yeah, I would you know have a some other part of the key would be like user ID or uh, yeah workspace ID something like that. Yeah. What data store would you use to keep track of your metadata? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess like to roughly think of the scale of this, right? At least you know, kind of jumping to like the full scale use case. Let's say we have ten million users, um, and each one has like a thousand files. That's ten billion files, um, and each file has a bunch of blocks too, right? So you know, maybe maybe we're like twenty billion, fifty billion like entries here. Um, and, and kind of, it's nice that we don't like this, this data would shard very easily on something like user ID because of that kind of like natural sharding of this, I would probably lean towards like a NoSQL data store in production, given that we don't really need like foreign key integrity. We're not going to be doing joins. We don't need to build like fancy indices. Um, kind of the key value lookup of a NoSQL database like MongoDB would seem appropriate here. I see. Do we need to support like the ACID properties of that a SQL d- database would um, would give us the what properties? Acid, acid, uh, acid. <laughs> yeah, acid. Um, yes, but um, you know, so acid like atomic operations, right? That seems pretty important that we don't leave data in a weird intermediate state. Um, I think that you can probably find a NoSQL database that supports things like atomic operations, though. In particular, I think MongoDB does. Um, you know, and the rest of the um, ACID things, I think, you know, what does the C is? Um, what does the C? Consistency. Yeah, consistency, you know, that, that's a whole other issue we'll get to when we start talking about, like, like uh, replicating this data across data centers. Um, isolation, that should be okay, because um, we shouldn't have like that concurrence usages of a single row. Um, generally, um, durability, just writing the disk, that should be fine. Yep. That makes sense. Um, yeah, typically either, you know, a NoSQL or SQL database is fine for this use case. Um, we do have the requirement that we need to provide a consistent view of the files in the database. Right, especially if there's more than one user working on the same file simultaneously, which isn't our current use case, but we might need to eventually scale up to support that. So I think you know either choices is fine, but just keeping in mind that if we do go with a NoSQL database where there isn't that ACID guaranteed, we would need to have developed another service, um, you know, on top that is making the guarantee that our data is consistent. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Cool. Anything else you want to talk to talk about on the client side? Uh, I guess we haven't talked about downloads. Just to be brief, um, I think downloading data is the same process of you know, so there's the reverse, right? So you ask the server, like, hey, is there any timestamps that you know about that are more recent than the timestamps I know about? If so, you know, you compare your your hashes for the blocks, right? And that tells you which pieces of blocks need to be updated on both ends, um, and then the server will send that down. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So just to be explicit, though, we talked about designing this like metadata database, right? 
Is it a requirement that we keep a copy of the metadata with the client application as well? Yeah, I think some of it needs to be there, right? So uh, maybe it doesn't really have to, but it seems like it'd be pretty nice for it to be there. So for example, imagine that everything is fine, like everything's synchronized, and then you take your computer offline. And now you're working on a file for like five hours. And we kind of have this promise of like, we'll take backup snapshots, like or versions every like two minutes, right? You need to be able to store some data locally. Otherwise, you would never know like when you need to take those local snapshots. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So the idea is that if we keep a local copy of the metadata, we can do offline updates. And the moment that we go online, right, we basically compare the metadata on the client with the metadata on the cloud servers. And if there is a differential, we know to sync the two as well as, you know, go ahead with an upload or a download. Yep, exactly. And, you know, that, that kind of problem I just explained of like taking versions while you're offline does, does entail like we need to actually store some, not just metadata locally, but also like block data locally, right? Yep, that makes sense. Also, one thing to call out is that with Dropbox, uh, you know, I've played around with the product and typically, right, uh, when there is new data, I get it close to instantaneously. I'm not, it's not pulling every two minutes or so. I think it's a lot more frequent than that. So your strategy of periodically checking the server if there's any changes might not scale when there's, you know, multiple users, multiple client applications. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, I think the, the difference there is like a push based approach versus a pull based approach, right? Um, you know, in my example, I've been like pulling the server and, you know, if you want instant updates, you either need to pull every like one second, which is probably too much load for the server, or you could, um, it's basically, you know, pushing these updates, whether it actually works is you make a connection between your client and the server and you kind of leave the connection in a kind of like low bandwidth, long running state. There should be like HTTP APIs that help with this, but yeah, so you leave that connection open and whenever the server decides like, oh, I need to do this work, it'll basically send some data over that connection. The data probably being the new updates, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. That sounds uh, like WebSockets. Yeah. WebSockets are, are the driver, I think, or they could be a good driver of that. Cool. Um, let's hop around the system because, you know, Dropbox as a whole is a fairly complicated system. And I want to get to talking about other parts of the uh, system outside of the client application. Let's, uh, you know, go back into the cloud. You mentioned that there was a couple of services that you would design. There's, you know, the metadata database as well as potentially, you know, whatever metadata base service that we need to add into uh, facilitate syncing of metadata. Is there any other services that you would consider as necessary? Yeah, I think I mean, there's going to be a lot, right? Like kind of, there's some boilerplate things that all these are like, you know, kind of apps need such as like login, authentication, stuff like that, but we can probably skip those. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think we talked about like the actual data storage, right? For actually storing the underlying data. I think this is kind of the thing that, and I think I've actually read this somewhere that somebody like Dropbox actually uses this, but you basically want, again, a kind of a key value storage of some identifier for a given block of data to the actual block of data. And I think you can actually just use like the hash value, like the SHA hash value that we've been using for comparisons as the key for the data. And that, you know, that again is like, you're probably looking at some kind of like S3 storage, like distributed object storage engine. Um, 
this isn't even like a SQL versus NoSQL thing. This is like we need an object storage uh, solution here. Yeah, that makes sense. For viewers that aren't aware, do you mind, you know, expounding on S3, Amazon S3, and, you know, the difference between that and a key value store? So, yeah, to compare that to a NoSQL database, um, NoSQL just has more overhead than you want. It's kind of solving a slightly different use case, right? So, for example, NoSQL has, like MongoDB might have things like other indices, like non-clustered indices that you can add to your data. Um, it has things like query plans, right, that help you execute queries against the data, whereas you're, you're never going to, like, write a query against your objects, right? All you're ever going to do is look up an object. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. To summarize, then, like, NoSQL database basically optimize a little bit more on performance, and you don't necessarily need that for an object store. And in the end, what you end up achieving is cheaper um, storage for your use case. Yeah, and to say performance, like, performance of things like queries, right? But again, with an object storage, you're never really doing, like, a query. You're just finding a given piece of data based on its object name or object identifier. Whereas in NoSQL, you could be writing, like, a query with, like, a where clause and, like, scanning your data, right? You're never going to scan your whole data set with object storage, I think. Yeah, so that all makes sense to me, Wes. It sounds like we have a pretty robust design at this point. Uh, where, you know, as part of our system, there's essentially three key components. One is the client application. One is the metadata storage, as well as metadata services. And the last one being the block slash cloud storage and the cloud services built on top. Do you mind quickly just walking through a typical flow involving these three parts of your design? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's say I am, you know, writing a new file on machine. I just added a new text file um, or a photo file. My local client that I have installed, a couple minutes later, will, you know, check and see, oh, there's a new file here that I have not seen before. Let me quickly compute the hash values of all the blocks of the file. And then I will, um, you know, because I have this client has this like kind of long running WebSocket connection to the, to an application server, um, it will, tell that app server like, hey, here's some new data I have. I'll send you the metadata first, and then I'll send you the like actual data, right? The actual data being like the hash key of the blocks and the actual block data themselves. So we send that to the cloud. The cloud will insert the metadata into the metadata database, and it will insert the blocks into the block database. You know, that's it. That, that's the happy path. Let's assume there's also client B and client C in this flow. Sure. Um, well, let's get back to that in a second. <laughs> um, so I will say two things to clarify on first. Um, one is, you know, there is kind of like these web app servers in the cloud that, that we've been, that's what our WebSocket is connected to, right? And that kind of initiates the reads and writes to our distributed storages. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is that we actually probably have a lot of duplicated data at this point. So I think there's actually, and I'm pretty sure I've read in particular, Dropbox uses this technique of, in your actual data storage, um, you might have a lot of, just because like the way that English is, or like the way that people like reuse content often, you actually might have a lot of, um, like random people around the world might like say, let's say they like, download a file from Wikipedia, right? You can actually like kind of say, if your hashing algorithm is, is good and like 
globally unique, which like a good you know SHA hashing algorithm would be. Um, in the distributed storage, you can actually not upload blocks of data if the hash is already there, even if it's from a different user. Yeah. So okay. So your client has now sent you know your metadata as well as your chunk data to the metadata data store and the cloud storage, uh, respect respectively. Let's assume that we have you know two more client applications that the user is also maintaining. So in this example, it can be a tablet and a mobile uh, phone, right? Um, what happens in order to make sure that those client applications are also kept up to date? Yeah, we will recall that while those devices are online, they, they also have a WebSocket connection to the main server. You know, once the server in the cloud realizes like, you know, that it is updated and it has the new data, it will use that WebSocket to notify the you know the tablet and the other machine saying like hey um, we have new data here um you know prepare to start receiving the new data and then it'll um either through that connection or maybe maybe making another connection just to you know modularize things um it starts a connection to download that data and update the local files yeah so wes the system that you designed looks great to me and it certainly supports you know your basic use case of a single user trying to sync his file across, you know, three to five devices. Let's pivot now to the business use case of Dropbox. So imagine I am an enterprise user and I am trying to use Dropbox as my file sharing service uh, for my entire enterprise of 10,000 employees. Is there any modifications that we'd want to explicitly call out in order to make sure that our system is going to work at scale? Yeah, sure. So um, I think there's some almost like kind of boilerplate answers to these systems under interviews that are like, you know, okay, we need, we need to scale out our, you know, application servers. So we need multiple replicas of those application servers so we can have a bunch of WebSocket connections open. I think you can maybe assume like each server can hold maybe like a thousand connections at a time, maybe. Um, so, you know, if we have 10,000 users, maybe we need 10 application servers. Um, and, and, you know, how do you know which app server to connect to? You probably want a load balancer, um, in front of those. Same thing with kind of our, you know, you know, metadata database and our S3 storage. Those are actually kind of maybe pretty cheap to, to scale because if we're using Amazon for like S3, scale should come pretty naturally with that and it's cloud storage. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense to me. Is there anything we need to do in terms of, uh, caching? Yeah, um, you can imagine that, like, if there's certain hot files, it'd be nice to throw up a cache, uh, in a memory cache that, you know, probably helps with the reads of those files, right? I guess you want to be careful that multiple people are reading and writing from the latest piece of data. It sounds like eventual consistency is not something we want here. We want, like, you know, kind of fully accurate consistency, maybe. Um, and if that's so, you really need to be careful with managing those, um, cache instances so that your cache doesn't get stale and that your, you know, writes go through to persistent storage immediately. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is there, this might be, you know, very implicit, but is there a cache replacement policy that would best fit our needs? Yeah, I think like least recently used is probably what you want to evict. Um, just at first thought. Yeah. Yeah. That, that certainly makes sense to me. Awesome. Cool. 
Well, I think this was this was a good interview, uh, Wes. There's obviously, you know, a lot that we can talk about with Dropbox. Dropbox is a lot more complex than any of the other systems that we've sort of talked through. Um, but, you know, my feedback is I think you hit most of the bullet points uh, very cleanly and very well, as well as, you know, thinking through how we scale and the business requirements. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say I have, like, watched the... A- YouTube video of a guy explaining Dropbox's architecture. I watched that like six months ago, maybe. So I might have had some insider information here, but yeah, definitely <laughs> a lot of things to think through. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Cool. This Thanks. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, see ya. <laughs> in the interview sense <laughs> or in the podcast sense. Okay. I'm going to stop now.